Culture need first and foremost, we found Digi. Hey, I wasn't lost, man, bro. I was in the hyperbolic time chamber putting this on reps. You, you see, it? maybe one day, Digi, on an episode, he'll sit down and explain what a fuck happened to him during that week. I'm not gonna we lie had... to you, I don't like to explain myself. Fair enough. Me and Joe went to the match, we were, <laughs> we were DMing people. So, have you seen this nigga? Like, we're worried, we're worried about you, bro. Uh, if, if... <laughs> If I'm missing for anything more than two weeks, then you can send out a search party. Fair enough. And we also have Joseph. What going, bro? Yeah, I'm all right. I'm just pissed. So I don't get fine. <laughs> <laughs> and we have a guest. Ivana, introduce yourself to our listeners. Hey. Also. Hello, everyone. Um, I don't know what to say about myself. I'm just out here in City West. It's a rainy day. And I'm happy to be here with these guys, these three beautiful black men. Let's go. So see, the city West people, yeah? Why can't you all just say talent? What are you fighting? You know what? I think it's a classist issue. Um, <laughs> I think people don't want to be associated with Tala. And in, in, in some respects, we are certainly a little different. In, like, I've been like, to West, like, I've been, I, I just look at them like... It's all the same thing, bro. Same place, isn't it? No, it's not. Same, same postcode, but it's not the same thing. You need to walk out in these streets, and you know what I'm talking about. I, but isn't isn't CUS where where they ripped out that little? Is that where it was? Yeah, it was. No, really. So if anything, you guys are worse than Tyler. The Tyler lot. I mean, I just I only moved here two months ago. So um, what, I'm from Fort Once ago, like. Are you from Ireland or did you move in from like? Uh, it's a long story. So um, yeah, I'm Canadian. Uh, my accent would probably tell you that. But uh, I kind of grew up in between Ireland and Canada. Okay. Yeah. Six, 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 six. So why Ireland? Why did you move to Ireland? Because? My parents, see, my dad was doing his, his master's in Belgium when he was like 20 something. And then they decided Ireland was the next stop. Then when he got here, he couldn't find a really. Um, a viable job with the level of education he had. He was really working like menial jobs, like small stuff. So he decided uh, Canada was a better place to go so that he could like, you know, make a better living. So we went there for a few years and I realized, well, we realized the family as a whole that um, tuition, uni is so expensive in Canada. So we might as well just come back and go to uni here and do whatever we want to do afterwards. So well, that's, that's my similar to like America where you guys have, they have like student loans and it's, so it's kind of that similar system exactly um which is not very pleasant because people are tied down financially once they leave um their third level education like my older brother he's an engineer and he's like basically suffering (laughs) under debt that he accumulated throughout his degree that's not great so i'm happy to be here and studying for next to nothing that's that's fair i know we have like really important bro jordan on that yeah yeah. Have you seen how mad like um the average like college debt 
per person in America is. It's nah, crazy. I, I, I've not seen. Yeah, it's like like for it's basically like having a second mortgage, mate. Nah, fuck that. Like, is, genuine question: Is college actually worth it? If you're paying, if you're paying that many, that many racks, is it actually worth it? That's why, if you like, in those cases, you go to college. Make sure whatever you're getting when you leave college, you get a job quick. Yeah, that's that's the practice. It has to be something like when you leave, you're pretty much employed pretty quick, unless your your parents have money like that where you can go do something. You can follow your local. (laughs) 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 But I I I know we have like kind of important shit to talk about today. But just want like all that shit. (laughs) Did y'all see Twitter yesterday? Black Irish. Oh my god! (laughs) It was a witch (laughs) hunt yesterday. (laughs) Before we get to the deep important shit, yeah. <laughs> I think we have to because I, I, I like I, 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 I yeah. You're sounding mad shook right now. <laughs> Where's the flagrancy? <laughs> now because because I just don't understand. I don't understand why you would. Why would you do that to yourself? I don't get it. <laughs> like post your out like that. Like yeah. I'm just trying to yeah, like I'm just trying to put myself. See, this is what this is the conclusion I I attempted to come up with for why she would do that. I guess because she felt like so humiliated, shamed, and embarrassed, she probably wanted him to feel like what she was feeling, and she didn't know how else to go about it. Mm-hmm. For some reason, if she thought shaming him and embarrassing him and humiliating on Twitter would get him back because of that's how she felt. That's the conclusion I came up with. But at the end of the day, you just like put your L on the timeline for our entertainment. Next day will come. Nobody will care about what happened. We just kiki shared messages, shared tweets to our group chats. <laughs> I don't know what she thought she would, she would have achieved for that. It was, it was mad. I've not seen Twitter like that for at least since like a year at this stage. It was good crap. Yeah, I ain't seen Twitter like that for about six. Nah, nah. Remember when Sean X put up note apology that day? <laughs> <laughs> nah, that wasn't... That wasn't... That didn't go... That didn't go like across the water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fair. Enough, that's fair. Right. Yeah, that's no, true. Still, that's not really like this. Well, like, if I right, would, like, mm-hmm. from the female perspective, like, because apparently, according to Twitter, men cheat. Which I don't know. That guy seems like he was an outlier because we know black men, black men don't cheat. Men don't cheat. This nigga took a ferry to come here. Twelve hours. Like he's very dedicated <laughs> to cheating. Um. I feel like he's a, he's on a completely different level. Uh, I think anyone cheats. It's, it's not a gender thing. It's really just about principles and people's personality. No, no, no. You know, you know what I personally think it is as well. You know what I personally yeah, think it is as well is um, we just don't talk about it <laughs> because I I I bro I know some mad situations with some people I know like one of the guys his girlfriend was in the threesome without him like oh my god oh my situ- god wow <laughs> like. There's situations out here. It's just guys don't speak about it. Yeah, because guys are trying to take that L out loud. Yeah, so I come and admit that my girl's cheating on me. Are you mad? What? So I just come and admit to the whole world that my girl's cheating on me. Are you mad? Threesome without me. My girl took 12 hours to see me, but she was getting side. There's no way. But like, I was asking Ivana, like, why do you think she mm-hmm. felt to express that? Because as, like, I'm saying, as guys, our egos are yeah. way too big to put ourselves out there like that. 
Okay. Well, from experience, I sometimes like when I talk to people with women that I just met, like, we tend to share shitty stories about men that we've had the displeasure of meeting. So in a sense, I could kind of like see that being applied, but just virtually where she's going online and she's saying, here, men are trash. This is what happened to me. Y'all stay safe. Y'all can learn from this. Don't be like me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it, I, I, it could be from the perspective, the angle of her trying to make it seem like a lesson or whatever. Um, so yeah, that's that's all I can really say on that. We don't know what went through her mind. My question is, oh, have you guys ever vomited from heartbreak? <laughs> 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 awesome, uh, I've never had my heart broken, thank God. Wait, what? Never. I think oh, I'm saying this on air, but I, I did break someone's heart. Come on. Um, how, how did you break his heart? Like, how did you break his heart? Um, how did I break his heart? I damn this. I know he's going to be listening to this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, well, how, how did I get myself in this situation? Damn. So, yeah, you know, wait, hang on. Just, just for the record, just for the record, can I just say, you, like, you know when, like, you ever watch, like, um, How to Get Away with Murder or, like, Suits, and they're like, oh, well, that wasn't part of the evidence, but you just brought it in. So, um, <laughs> so I guess it can well, be yeah. used. Well, yeah, we'll go back to like, God, yeah, how did I break his heart? Okay, essentially, it's just, it's more, um, like, I don't think I was being, like, bad or anything. I just thought, you know, um, he, he wanted to move a certain direction, I, and I wasn't ready to move in that direction, so I had to call it quits. So that was heartbreaking because he, he wanted to, you know, do something that was maybe very meaningful to him. But I, we just didn't see eye to eye, so for him, that was a bit heartbreaking. So that's, yeah, that's it, really. Women are trash. Are you? Are you? Are you, are you What's called? Genuine question. Did you say women are trash? <laughs> Genuine question. Are you, uh, do you guys feel like you guys are toxic? I yes. definitely am toxic. I won't yes. lie. Oh. Oh. Okay. Just, no. Everyone. Just give... No. 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 <laughs> <laughs> what? What do you mean? Wait. Hang on a minute, Jordan. You. You know me. You know me. On that level, yeah. I am the most objective person you've ever met. How can because you're objective doesn't mean you're not toxic. Uh, is it exactly mm-hmm. what it means? How? <laughs> what do you mean, how? How? Yeah, how, are you, how are you toxic, Joe? Talk us through that. Because well, I, don't, I, don't, I don't deal with people, like, from a selfish, personal point of view. I deal with people like, okay, this is fair, this isn't fair. Except, like, I wouldn't make, I wouldn't force somebody to stay with me like, for argument's sake, you know that guy yesterday, uh, um, wow, I was almost about to name drop. But, yeah, yesterday on the timeline when um, that madness was occurring, yeah? Right. I ain't gonna lie. Like, there was a tweet that I saw that said, um, women expect men, sorry, men expect women to, like, basically suck up to their apology and, like, deal with their BS and stay in a relationship and it's like uh i don't think i do that i don't think i i mean i know in the past i haven't done that i've been like look okay i fucked up or whatever mm-hmm. um, now if you want to stay then you know be my guest and i'll improve but if you don't i get that as well like you can leave but right. i would like you to stay like do you know what i mean mm-hmm. so i wouldn't necessarily class myself as toxic i would class myself yeah. as 
objective. Um, in fairness, everybody has a bit of toxicity in them, so. Yes. All right, what's the what what toxic traits? traits? Mm. Like, what makes you a lot of toxic? We're already doing therapy. Toxic traits. <laughs> what makes you a lot of toxic? Just get, throw one thing out. I'm impatient. Temper. Yeah. Wow, uh, Jordan, you got like that. Like, I'm, I'm usually chill. But most people, most people are like, nonchalant. I don't care. But, like, when I care, like, sometimes I'm just gone. But with most people, I'm like, man. Jordan is the guy that's putting his fist through walls, bro. <laughs> Wait, give me give me some examples of like toxic traits and then man, i might actually be i might i might have to like i may i may not be able to double down on my tape for I'm you for you personally back. i'd probably say manipulation <laughs> Ooh, okay hang on a minute yeah. <laughs> wait what it's, it's not it's actually not wait, wait hang on <laughs> wait hang on <laughs> actually see that I can really see that. I feel like Joe's a sweet talker and he can get you to do things. <laughs> yeah, you know what? You know what? I mean, yeah. And you think, hey, look, you're not wrong when you're right, eh? <laughs> <laughs> you're not wrong when you're right. I love that line. <laughs> well, yeah. But why are you asking this? Why are you asking these questions? Did you, did you, when you went AWOL, is this what you were doing? No, 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 no. When I went in, well, yeah, I did. I did a bit of self-reflective, but now nah, I was having a conversation with two friends yesterday, and we were talking about being toxic and shit. And what's called? Remember, I think it was Jordan that asked, "Have you guys ever been being toxic when you no? What did you say? Something like, have you guys ever treated a girl like shit, but thinking you were treating her well or some shit like that?" Oh my god! Yeah, yeah, yeah no, no. I was saying that, like, that, I was saying that, like, sometimes you think you're treating people nice, or you think you're being a genuinely nice person, a nice guy. And then years later, you talk to that person again, and you realize, oh, wow, I was treating this person like dirt, even though in the moment, obviously, you know better. But in the moment, you're thinking, I'm doing right by this person. Fam, and I'm, the, I'm the king of that shit. And then you're, <laughs> sounds you're like immaturity. What? That sounds like immaturity. Yeah, I, I think it is. I think a lot of it is immaturity. I was literally about to say that you grow and you learn, because whatever you thought was right and the things that you were saying or kind of like how cancel culture happens and you're tweeting about dark skin girl or something. And five years later, you look at your tweets, you're like, nah, I was wrong for this. But when you're tweeting it five years ago, you don't feel like you're wrong or you wouldn't tweet it, you know? Or, well, I wouldn't anyways, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I was just, just expressing that, like, you can do that to people as well. Because like, I've talked to, like, people that I used to talk to or friends or whatever, and they'll tell me some of the things I said or some of the ways I behaved, and I'd be like, Jesus Christ. Doesn't I doesn't this kind of um, add to kind of what I like? I always say to you, or I always put out on the timeline when it comes to people talking about relationships and like arguing uh, or complaining in relationships when like people exhibit certain behaviors. It's not yeah. like they're not doing that personally to you, they're mm. just doing it because, you know, for whatever reason they're doing it. It's not a personal thing. And kind of what helps in relationships is when people realize that, oh, well, for argument's sake, you did this thing and like you didn't do it out of spite towards me. That's how, that's just what, that's just like a particular behavior that you carry out. And um, like you need to change that because it hurts me for argument's sake. So some people need to kind of be aware that, yeah, you might be toxic, but it's not personal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
I think that's I think I agree with what you're saying because sometimes you don't know your behavior or sometimes you do, but there's occasions that like, you might generally not know how your behavior is affecting the other person or how they yeah, perceive yeah, it yeah. Toxic, until they tell you. And then upon reflection of when every year when someone is telling you something like for example when I got called into my manager's office, she repeated what was said, like the reason I was there, why someone said something. And in the moment, I was, I, like, I brushed it off. But when she repeated it to me, and I was like, whoa, that sounds wild. So sometimes it's like when someone tells you about how you behave, the things you've said, and you, you hear it back coming from their mouth, you're kind of like, mm. Jesus, I, I'm, I'm sorry I ever said that. But did she, <laughs> upon further reflection, you realize that <laughs> you're toxic nigga. Sometimes. I, do, <laughs> I, I had one year that I was wild in though, but... That's a story mm. for a different day. Yeah, to be fair, to be fair, I think, I think, yeah, Desi, you're the same age as me, right? Yeah. Yeah, like, we all have one year, innit? You have, you have to have at least one year. You have to have one year, innit? You know what I mean? Oh, uh, You know, uh, I, the, the worst thing about it, that year, I thought I was being a nice person. Bro, <laughs> I was all crunched. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you, know, you know what they say, you know what they say, we live and we learn. It is what it is. It is what it is. Uh, breaking news: uh, Stormzy has just pledged ten million over ten years to. Uh, I don't want to say Black Lives Matter because that just seems like the blanket statement that everybody is kind of using. Uh, but I can't find the tweet. There we go. Blah 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 blah. Yeah. So basically, Stormzy's pledging ten million quid over ten years to organisations, charities, and movements that are committed to fight, fighting racial inequality, justice reform, and black empowerment within the UK. I think that's really cool. That's a flex. Hey. That's a big flex. I didn't but, know he had money like that. Wait, what? Well, it's like <laughs> well, when you think about Do it. Do you not listen to his music? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. I didn't think he was like that rich, but okay, that's great. Well, ten millions over ten years, I think, it's because he's going, years, to accumu- he's going to accumulate. Like, say for example, in okay. any given year, he's going to make five million or three million. So just oh, that will. So over, t- it's not like he has ten million right now, but over ten years, he's projected that he will accumulate the wealth. I, I'm assuming because it's still a million year, bro. And it's, only, and it's, it's still a lot. Like and, and yeah. he gets, he gets like twenty five percent of that back anyway. So you know. Yeah, tax Hey, look, you know me. I'm trying to reduce that tax bill every single day. You know the vibe. Yeah, some some people argue that celebrities give away that much money just to get it back, just to avoid taxes and stuff like that. Yeah, I always hear about them doing that, like with charities and putting money into charities and uh, all of this. So they just then they get it back, or they say they're not going to give any of their money to their kids, but then give the non-profits charities to inherit, so they still get that money back. So I don't know. Sometimes when celebrities do these things, I'm just now I'm like so cynical. They could be doing like I'm not saying Stormy's not doing the right things. I'm just speaking like in terms of celebrities in general because you know yeah. we cannot we cannot slander a black man trying to put ten million into a cause that we all we all kind of want to go forward. Yeah, so I like just, I like um I, yeah, I got to be honest, like just with everything that's that's going on because I know obviously we had we had an episode was it last week. Yeah, but Jesus Christ! We should, um, we should, we will definitely hear what Ivana and did you? Yeah, hundred percent. But what, what I, I, I kind of, I guess want to drop because I think I kind of made my views on everything pretty clear last week. But I, I think to add to everything that we said last week, Jordan, um, and I've been saying it to you 
sporadically is that this time kind of feels a little bit different. Yeah. Maybe that's because I'm just, or we're just in the middle of it and like we're old enough to understand what's going on. But mm. um, like to hear like Michael Jordan say, well, I'm going to pledge 100 million over 10 years. And yeah. Stormzy say he's going to pledge 10 million over 10 years. And then you've got Jordan Peele and like Universal and he's like about half a billion quid o- across the world has been raised. And that to me is really, 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 like I don't think I've heard of that before. So I would just, I would, I just really hope, and I would like to think that all the noise that and all the protests that everybody's been carrying out over the last couple of weeks will long term make some sort of a difference. We'll just have to wait and see. But I'm, yeah, I am curious to hear. I'm curious to hear a lot from Denji because I haven't heard from that guy in about five years. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah, Denji, like, what, what's your take on? And what's right. going on? Yeah, entire so, situation from George Floyd. Yeah. All right, so you know, because you know, I don't, I don't watch all them. I don't watch those videos. Like, I'm very protect my own energy. I can't be watching those things because I will actually, it'll actually piss me off. But how? Um, where do I even start? So I think while while I was while I was in hyperbolic tangent, I came up with two with two discoveries. Right. Number one is that you know the saying, "There's no smoke without fire." That applies to every single situation except racism and rape. Every other situation that they were like, oh, there's no smoke without fire, there's no smoke without fire, but bare people are shouting, no, there's racism in Ireland, there's racism in Ireland. And then people are like, nah, there's no. Or girls would be like, he raped me, he raped me, he raped me. And then they'd be like, yeah, but she could be lying. But every other situation is, ah, oh, but there's no smoke without fire. He must have done something. Do you get what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's just like, it just doesn't make sense to me. Like, and then the second thing, especially in, more for America, because if I start saying my, my actual opinion and all this shit, it's going to come across as hate speech, but more so America, like, why is it that we're always told that we need to peacefully protest and we need to peacefully do this and peaceful? Like, why are we in such a, why are we in such a PC world where everyone thinks that we're so civilized and everything can be done through talking on the phone and meetings and shit like that? When in the history of the world has there ever been a time that violence hasn't been the thing that has made change happen? So the whole history of the fucking world, you guys are telling that if you want something to change, be violent. But then when it comes to us, guys, come on, peaceful protests, you know, put your hands up on the street and say, no, fuck that. Bro, if niggas start dying, like, you know, I never really understood that whole um, they don't value our lives thing until recently. And actually realized, no, they actually don't give a fuck about us. So it's kind of a situation like killing, killing, killing a nigga on the street is like, well, he probably did something like he probably did whatever or what did he do or this and that or this and that and it's kind of like a all right cool if you're not going to value our lives I don't, I don't see a time where it changes where they're like oh you know what i i, I suddenly care about black lives that's not going to happen so if you start dropping bodies like like if if a, if a policeman kills a black guy right and that policeman dies then the next man is going to be like if I kill this guy, yeah, cool, I might not go to jail, but these men, these men might come for my life. So now it's not about valuing the black man's life, it's about valuing your own life. Or literally just burn everything down. Like, burn everything down. <laughs> so what's called, if you kill a black man, you're going to be having to pay $2 billion worth of damages. They will think twice about killing people. Bro, like, I think it's just a situation where niggas just need to start getting, like, where I think we're just personally, as black people, we're just too nice. Like, we're too peaceful, which sounds fucking weird because they think we're fucking animals and shit. But we're too peaceful, we're too nice, and we're too accommodating. If, like, 
you have the shit that they try with black people. If they tried that with travelers, like they wouldn't dare. Like I have traveler mates and they're like, they're having like bare knuckle boxing fights and the police come down and they all look at the police and the police are like, when you guys are done, just leave. But if it was black people, helicopters, SWAT, fucking armies coming out. And that's just because them niggas, they know those guys were wild out if they did something that wasn't, wasn't correct. But we're also just like, uh, you know, let's keep quiet. It's all right, you know, it is what it is. It is what it is. But if we came out, we started wilding and burning shit and burning the place to the ground, they'll start looking at us differently, innit? Well, Wait, can I interject there, uh, Deji? Uh, I feel like travelers have white privilege, though. Oh, they so, do. So I think that's maybe why the police doesn't come out with so much aggression as they would with us. Because although they may not um, be of the same I don't know, race as a traveler, they do see that they are white and they can affiliate with that, you know? Yeah, I do. I do agree with that. But I also, but I also think a, a, some part of it is the fact that they are scared. They are genuinely scared of the. Yeah. Oh yeah, I can agree with you on that. Of the of the repercussions that would come with violating when someone from the travel community, and I feel like with us, they just have no fear of any repercussions at all. So start putting reper- repercussions in place where if you like if you do something something else will happen and it's kind of like now you have to weigh up okay is it worth taking this man's life for all the blowback that i'm going to receive like like the fact that george zimmerman is still alive fucking baffles me like it, how do like niggas out here killing people for 20 dollars and shit like that but this motherfucker killed a, a black kid auctioned the gun off and is out here doing celebrity like what the fuck oh, you know as jay-z said streets yeah. is done yeah. Anyways, um, that's me. I feel like what's going on right now, it is inciting a lot of change. Like just recently I was going through the TL, I was reading about um Brianna Taylor and um how they brought up this new law that basically prohibits the police from um unwarranted visits or something like that. I'm don't quote me on that, I might be wrong. But basically that was um came about through her death and people protesting about it. And of course, as we know, um, George, uh, George Floyd's killer, he started off with, was it third degree murder? And it's been now been bumped up to second degree. So there, there are changes happening and I'm happy to see that. Um, what's bothering me though, is this like weird ass display from white people. Like, did you see that video of them like kissing black protesters, like watching their feet and stuff and bowing to them? I didn't see it, but I heard about it on a podcast. Yeah, I heard about it. Crazy. Like, I, I think that's a bit much. Um, I don't think it really serves a purpose, but I understand their sentiment. Um, so I can I can understand it as far as that. Well, yeah. um, God's arena, am I going to do that? I also, you know, I also think that um, the whole justice for George Floyd I feel like it's gone past that now. It's so much more than that. Cause yeah, oh, cool. Yeah. If you get if you get if you get justice for him, yeah, that's cool. And those guys go to jail. That's all. That's all good and well. But it's gonna it's gonna happen again and again and again and again. So I feel like we need to tackle the root of the problem more as opposed to the issue that is at hand. You get what I'm saying? So just because the guy gets tried and he gets sentenced to jail for hard for murder or second degree murder or whatever, I feel like that's still not enough. Like, do you get what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, like, that's what uh, Jordan and I were saying last week, was that um, what's scary about it as it stands right now is that there's nothing stopping this from happening again in the future. Mm-hmm. So there's going to need to be, like, a hell of a lot of, like, law reform, not just in the States, but, like, worldwide, because 
as we see, as we, as we were saying last week, it's almost like they just don't see black people as humans. This is like we're not normal. I hate using that word, but it's almost like we're not normalized to white people. Mm-hmm. It's, I just don't understand it. It's just it's not. But I think. Of course, we don't understand it because we've never really been in a position where, you know, the world is the other way around. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, like, it's, it's yeah. it baffles me. Oh, I, actually, oh, yeah, go ahead, Jordan. No, no, I was just saying that, like, of course, I, I, my main point last week was, like, I share pretty much exact same sentiment as you, Deji, because we've tried, like I said like, at last episode, like, we, they tried putting their fist in the sky, they tried kneeling, they tried to be peaceful, it ain't work. So sometimes you've got to match, like I always say to Joe, sometimes you've got to match people's madness or match their energy to see, to get a response. Mm-hmm. And this is like probably the first time that, okay, you loot, you might destroy the economy, you might destroy some businesses, which I'm not like, I'm not for, but in the long run, if it brings change, I'm not against it either. Do you know what I mean? That, that was kind of like, my sentiment was pretty similar. Like throughout the world, all the revolutions, like World War One, World War Two, the Civil War, the abolishment of slavery, Everything there needed to be like violence to for ch- for change to occur. So I share the same sentiment, but I just hope it is bigger than just like they have to get prosecutors and sentenced for like they have to. That has to be the minimum, though. They they still there's obviously this talk of like defunding the police. So the fact that there's even conversation of like real change, mm-hmm. this is the first time like I've even heard of this kind of like defund the police, put police funds into, or allocate them to some, something else. Don't call police for absolutely everything. If you need, someone's about to jump off a bridge or something, instead of calling the police, call a psychologist to talk to them off and help them off it. Because the police themselves in America say they, they do too much. Every little call is the police. If something happens in school, police, domestic violence, police, suicide, police. Uh, even traffic stops, like you don't need like at a traffic light or, or a general stop, whatever, I've been stopped by the police, you don't need a gun in that situation. So if you approach, if a guy approaches me with a gun, I'm already on edge. But in Amer- so if in America, these police are not coming with guns to approach these people, everybody's calm and it's, the situation doesn't have to escalate. Because if a black man knows the police has a gun, he's nervous. So he wants to defend himself. And now the, because of he's nervous, the police is thinking, now I have to defend myself. Everybody's anxious and everybody's on edge. So maybe, like, if you remove the gun in the situation, if I know someone's coming to me, because I've been stopped, and I know there's no chance that the police here have a gun. So I'm not as nervous. I'm just nervous. I'm like, shit, do I have my license with me? My insurance, where's my insurance test? That's the only thing I'm nervous about. Whereas over there, they're nervous for their lives. So some changes really do have to happen. You know what? Speaking on that. Yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah, speaking on that, my, my my last question was, how come... Like you know, you know their defense is always what's called. I was in fear. Of, I was in fear of my life. Why can't I use that and bang you in the face? Because, because um, there's a law. It, it's in U.S. law that all, basically all a police officer has to do is prove that they um, experience. We talked about it last week. That's how I know you didn't listen to the episode. But anyway, um, <laughs> if uh, if all a police officer has to do is prove that they felt fear or literally say that they felt fear for their life, and there's no way that you can dispute that somebody felt that's, an emotion. That's not what I'm asking. I'm asking, okay, you felt fear, but I also felt fear, and your fear is what led you to pin me down, shoot me, whatever. Why can't my fear lead me to bang you in your face? 
I mean, it can. Like, nobody's saying that it can't. It can't. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, you but don't like, have the law on your side. No, I, I, I know. I know. I know. I'm saying I don't have. I don't have the law on my side. My question. My my thing is just like in all of these things, bro. I fear for my life too. And the thing is, you're trained to be in this situation and not be afraid. Isn't that what you're like? You're meant. You're supposed to be. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> to be like, if one of like in this, yeah. in this in this situation, you have literally been trained to not fear for your life, like that. Or even if you do fear for your life, be able to calm your emotions to be able to deal with it in a logical point of view. Well, Desi, I'm yeah. not. When you think about it, right? See what you said there that they're trained to not feel fear. The fact that they go on and say, "Oh well, I felt fear," is what adds to their case. You see what I'm coming from? Yeah, I see where you're coming from, but I'm saying... So I know it's a BS excuse, because so you look at some of these videos and you're like, this guy is not in fear at all. This guy is in total domination. <laughs> like, how is this easier in fear? But, like, it's just... I don't, I don't... You know what? There's one phrase that I hate using, yeah? It's the system. <laughs> but it is the system. But I, when you say that, Deji, but the training isn't, like... You think to be a cop, you go through some elite kind of training. So this obviously I'm listening to like fl- like flagrant. Being a cop, you need, it's like an eight week training course, and it's a, it's a lo- it's usually people that couldn't like go to co- or didn't go to college or couldn't get a decent paying job. So what they do is they do this course for eight weeks. You get a job working for the government, a good pension, twenty years in the game, and you're out. So being a cop is also fail safe, but then the bar to be a cop. It's, it's so high. low, yeah. Yeah, it's but, so low. So you have practically dummy like dummies not, going into the police force. So they're they're fearful. No, they're, but they're not like it's not, it's not even it's not that's yeah, I, I completely understand that. And the training and everything it might not be elite. But the thing is, right, let's say if there's a UFC fighter here, he's been in so many fights, even if he's afraid going into every fight, or even if he's on the street and the fight is about to kick off, even if he, even if he's afraid going into every fight. He knows how to, okay, I've been in this situation so many times. Let me not swing and just get myself gassed out. Let me make sure I don't get I don't get grappled so I can I can bang people in the face. Let me make sure I'm looking around so I can see what's around me. Do you get what I'm saying? But me as a person that I don't get into a lot of fights, emotions take over and I'm going and I'm just I'm just swinging bare, I'm gassed out, I'm I trying think, to hold on I, to the guy. I think you're 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 not that you're being extreme, but like you're looking at the high end of it. Like most of these people who end up in these cases that we've seen are like don't even resist. Like most of the most of the people, most of the things that we hear is just people saying, "Well, I can't breathe." Like it's not. No, like, you know I, what I mean, no, it's not. No, but the thing is, the thing, the things what I'm saying is like, okay, someone like the guy on the on the floor saying he can't breathe. This is not the one. He's not the one taking. He's not the one taking his. Taking taking the fucking video of himself. There's a whole bunch of people around, and it's kind of like, how can you fear for your life when you're in the situation where you're you're the one in all the power? There's someone under your knee, what? and everyone else is watching, and they're too shook to to get involved. Do you get what I'm saying? But they're not fear for their life. It's it's not it's a it's a it's not it's a cop out. They're not that's what, Yeah, that's what we're saying. That they, they don't. Mate, just they just know that they've got the law on their side, and all they have yeah. to say, all they have to say is, well, in that moment, yeah, I felt fear for my life, so I choked them out. Like yeah, I said, I'll play devil. I'll, yeah, yeah, good excuse. That's just a lot of bullshit, that's, that's a lot Yeah, of to, just to play devil's advocate, like when Felipe Castillo got killed with his baby mom and his daughter in the car, he was telling the cop, I have like I have a gun there. So he was telling him he has a gun in the car. Which you're thinking like he's giving him a warning he has a gun. But in that situation, if you have a gun in your hand and someone is screaming at you, I have a gun also, 
I can understand how your emotion can be like, let me protect myself, get him before he gets me. But in the George Floyd case, I just, like, I don't understand why he did, like, I don't get why he just did that. There was no threat of him whatsoever. So that one is like, then to say I feared for my life, it's like, no, you didn't. You had your hands in your pocket. These guys are playing real life GTA. You know in GTA when you just go around banging people in the face and knocking them out? That's what these, that's yeah. what these are doing, bro. Yeah. Another thing is George Floyd uh, was allegedly, so he was a suspect for a non-violent crime, which is forgery. So yeah. I guess on the flip side, like if you were going after a suspect who committed like an assault or something, I think using force could be justified in that case. But uh, for yeah. someone who didn't do anything, you know, that's violent, and then when you do restrain him, he's not fighting back or resisting. Like really, there is no excuse in that, in that situation. Like, and that's what the point we're making about like, like the defunding police. Like you don't need to send people with gun for a nonviolent crime. Like mm. here in here in Ireland, we're police without guns. So they're saying that like, why are you putting people with guns in those kind of situations if it was just for fraud? It's like sending cops with, with guns to go get fraud boys for ordering like getting pizza from Domino's or something. It, it doesn't <laughs> like what's the sense? Yeah, you don't need it. So that's the joke. <laughs> Hey, do you know how dumb that sounds? <laughs> like, that, that's kind of that's kind of what it is. You don't need you like you don't need like that's the point of saying like you defund the police. These some of these situations don't need people with guns to come to them, and that's okay. Like you see, kids will fight in school or something, and in America they'll call the cops. Why you call the psychologist? Talk to the kids. Do you know what I mean? You don't even just call anybody. Just pull them little niggas apart. Yes, but, but I think that's it. Like in America, it's anything. I'll call nine one one. I'll call nine one one. I'll call nine. So nine one one. Everybody has guns. They get there. They get a bit nervous. Their situation escalates. But I don't know. I don't know what. Um, when I was in high school in Canada, we did have police presence sometimes <laughs> when things had happened. But um, they didn't carry guns or anything, so it was really like peaceful. Aren't um, Canadian people what's it, what's in general meant like to Canada be like? Though? Aren't Canadian people meant to be really, really nice in general anyway? Yeah, that's a stereotype. We got a few bitches there too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and but no, yeah, we are generally very good people. We're very honest what's as well. I'm actually, it's bad. I was applying for some. Thing the other day was a <clears throat> like a student benefit fund for COVID. So the, the government is like giving out like $1,200 to students who can't, who are basically just affected by COVID or whatever. So um, I applied for it and I was like, oh, do you guys need any evidence of my income? And he was like, no, the government just takes your word for it. Like that's the kind of people we are, you know, they just, we're very honest and polite. <clears throat> so I, I love the country. Wait, hang on a minute. Hang yeah. on, hang on. <laughs> did, you, did you apply for, for the money? Yeah, why wouldn't I? Don't you live in Ireland? Yeah, it's for it's if you're a Canadian citizen living abroad and you're studying abroad, then you're still eligible for it. Mad. What? I need to get some. What? What? Get some it's it's only fifteen euro when you do the conversion, though. It's, it's only how much? It's only eight hundred and fifteen euros. Only eight hundred and fifteen euros. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's only a free eight hundred euros. Sorry, it's only about a bag. It's only. No, I meant. Okay, it's it is a good amount of money, but I meant in comparison to like. No, no, no. You said that. You said that Canadians. You said that you just said that Canadians were honest. Yeah. So you don't think you don't think that that eight hundred quid is a lot of money. 
said that. But like that. once once you take rent money out of it, like there's not much left. <laughs> what do you mean? So, but you didn't have it in the first place. It's, it's free. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> well, I don't know. It's just going straight into my savings. Yeah, speak, of my speak, only speak question it. was like, what's the gun law in America? In Canada, oh, like, yeah. is it just similar? Yeah. Uh, to be honest, I don't know the specifics, but what I do know yeah. is people don't carry around guns like they do in America. There are very tight controls over it. Um, okay. There's none of that, like, oh, if I'm fearing for my life, I have the right to shoot you or whatever. Um, so that doesn't exist there. So. Oh, that's yeah. fair enough. Also, hey, speaking also. of. Um, Speaking of COVID nineteen, uh, you know, uh, Jordan, I was, talk I, was to you. I was. Anyway, we'll talk about that in, in private. Anyway, because you already know how I feel about that. That about a particular firm and their actions during COVID nineteen. But anyway, um, nah, uh, I was curious to see. I was curious to find out what everyone's experience of lockdown was especially given that lockdown is pretty much over like i went to the shops today and you don't have to queue outside anymore it's basically back to normal i'm allowed back in the office on monday whether i will i mean i'm gonna go <laughs> but um and it seems like public transport is somewhat back to normal etc etc but like i gotta be honest with you like lockdown was for me anyway was trash like i didn't enjoy it and if anything once I go back to work, I'm probably never going to leave the office. But <laughs> I can imagine that for some people, like, it was blissful because some people like being at home all the time. And some people enjoy the company of themselves, et cetera, et cetera. So I was just curious to kind of see, like, how was lockdown for all of you guys? Did you? Lockdown was, it didn't really affect me at all, to be honest. Yeah, obviously people need drugs was... all the time, innit? You're a fucking idiot. I was out every single day. I was out. I was out every day, and the times I wasn't out, I'm, I don't really go anywhere anyway. So my life didn't change. Mm. The only thing that was annoying was that whole queuing up, bro. It, I was just so, oh, bro. That's that whole thing. Oh, that's the worst. That's just, like, do you know how many times I'm like, I'm actually not going. To, I'd rather just order food or something because I'm not going to go stand outside the Tesco line for 40 minutes to, to walk into Tesco. Are you mad? I can't relate. I'm working temporarily in healthcare, so I just use my badge to get into places. That's oh, <laughs> fucking nice. How was your lockdown, anyways? It was long. It was tough. Um, I had a really big life change during the period. That period as well. Like I moved out of my parents' home, and like I'm, I'm, I, we were living. I was living in Port Beach, so um, coming to like Dublin and learning how things work here is like even just getting the bus and stuff. I was so confused. We don't have like a stable <laughs> bus system. I was like, what number it gets me home and shit like that. But like, it's all good now. Um, I've, I found myself in a good routine. So it's just about getting into, uh, just that ability, just getting used to things. So, so you are obviously working because you're in the healthcare system. So yeah, like I just went back to, because the thing is my summer internship got canceled. So I was like, I need to make money somehow. And I did do a PLC before going to college, which qualified me to go into healthcare. <clears throat> So, like, I'm working with, like, autistic children and people who have fallen and they're, they need a bit of rehab at home and stuff like that. So, it's it's going well. It's great. It's very rewarding as a job. So, well, mentally, and you could just you cope with it okay mentally because you're obviously out of routine, you're working. 
because like everything was closed there was no restaurants yeah. no movies no nothing none of that no phone you couldn't see fr- like your friends or anything so mentally yeah. it was okay for you because you're actually I, was high. I, anyway. I broke a lot of rules I, i'm still traveling going to people's homes and stuff <laughs> i'm not a posted <laughs> child for social distancing um but uh yeah i think it was it was difficult like i won't lie mentally i did go through a really rough patch um like, and actually, honestly, there's only so much wine one can drink, like, do you know what I mean? <laughs> hell. Right? I remember when house party was popping for those two weeks. Like, yeah. we, we just go from room to room and just drink with people, and that's what we would do at night. Do you guys think life, what's what, do you guys think life is ever going to go back to, like, just regular, normal, how it was before? No. Let's talk about my lockdown, innit? Oh, yeah, yeah sure, for Jordan, us. please. <laughs> <laughs> Jordan was on a drug. That's the only thing that was bothering him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, Jordan was... only cared about one thing and one thing only. <laughs> no, the first, like, well, how long was lockdown? It felt like it was two years. What do you mean? Like how long? You, know? you were counting, bro. <laughs> now, the first six weeks, I'd say the first six weeks were tough. But I, th- I just think it was, like, the mentally, because, like, as I was telling Joe, like, I work because I want to have money to enjoy life outside of work. And it came to like obviously with this year you're just working but you're not able to enjoy your life so and mentally that was very very demanding because you're up at like half six every day and you get to friday evening and you're like fuck your weekend's gone and you're back in you're back in so that that aspect of it was very tough like there was no stimulus your brain is just working but not having fun but after like in the last four three four weeks i kind of looked at it as a a bit of a positive because in my case all like my childhood friends and my family were back home and you could kind of see and everybody at time and this hasn't been the case for maybe five six years so when then you stopped and looked at it, i was like next time people move out of like this town or move out of Albrigan will be when they move out for the last time kind of because we're like going three years away from like 30 now so you kind of look at it as like next time people start leaving you're not going to see these niggas like you can't just pop up to their house anymore and mm-hmm. my brother was home for the whole duration and my brother lives away from home so I was kind of like, it's nice that everybody was home and everybody had time because this is the last time that we're going to, well, hopefully, because hopefully it can't be another pandemic, but hopefully this is going to be the last time for like a two-month stretch where you have all your friends and all your family within your proximity and they all have time for you. Not everybody's not like, now nah, I'm doing this this weekend or I'm seeing my babes or whatever. So that's kind of how I broke down my lockdown. The first six weeks, tough. And after I finally got laid, I could see clear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, hear that. Me as well, I, I feel like lockdown has really forced me to like evaluate my life and my beliefs because you have so much time on your hand you can't just go out and distract yourself you really have to face your thoughts yeah. um so like i was even thinking like is god real like what am i worshiping <laughs> like am i really yeah. a christian like just asking myself all these questions and trying to redefine who i am so that's been a really difficult process but like my friend introduced me to this thing called self-authoring. It's basically where you go through this process of like writing your past, your future, and your present. Uh, and it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. That's too much. What? Is it too much? <laughs> no, oh, honestly, nah, it's like, really bro. good. It's good for your mental health. It sets uh, you on the nah. right path. Okay, what did you write for your future? What did you write for your future? Oh, that's like, too personal. Okay. That's yeah. right. So, but, wait, uh, when, just when you're writing thing, your past, is it like, oh... When I was five, this happened. No, they ask you really targeted questions. Um, they ask you to maybe delve into your trauma or things that upset you. So it's like self therapy, basically. 
Exactly. Right. That's it. Uh, lockdown was was my first experience somewhat of therapy because I um, started working with a performance psychologist. Oh, yes. Talk um, about this. Talk about this. Well, a what psychologist? Sorry. A performance psychologist. Wow. What is that? So, uh, basically, like a therapist that works on enabling that like, you're mentally sound enough to perform your job. <laughs> so like most it's it's similar to a sports psychologist but like just for my line of work um and whilst like i remember going into my first session with him and i was just like oh yeah we're just going to talk about work and trading and whatnot and talk about the psychology of that and it like it wasn't it was like 99 it was like 90 percent actual therapy and dealing with like some deep-rooted issues i had (laughs) And like five percent banter because we're both guys, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We have yeah. similar interests, and five percent like trading-related um, psychology. And initially, it was tough, and there were some sessions that were awkward because, like, I'll give you an example. There was one, um, there's one session we had, and he said, "So, what do you want to talk about?" And I said, "X, Y, Z," and then. I kept blabbing on and he was like, all right, uh, you're giving me way too much information here and a lot of it is irrelevant. And I was like, well, you didn't stop me from talking. You just, like, sometimes therapists do this thing where they don't say anything and the, the silence is fucking awkward and you're just, and you're just like, do I keep talking? Do I, do I not? And you're just there looking at each other like, say something, man, what's wrong with you? But basically we went through this exercise where, um, he was only allowed to respond to anything I said with one of the two answers. It was, and the answers were either that's interesting, tell me more, or I don't care, move on. And that's harsh. He, what the hell? Honest, no word of a lie, no word of a lie. I felt like he was bullying me. <laughs> no, it, it felt like bullying. Yeah. And I left that session thinking, this guy is a, I don't want to work with this brother ever again because I've never felt like someone was like piercing out like different holes that I had and whatnot. But then I bet, but like as the week went on, I was like, oh, that's what he meant when he was trying to get me to do this and, and, and when he was saying that he didn't care about this and he wanted me to expand that. So it was really strange to kind of experience that and it's kind of made me a little bit it's put my mind at ease with regards to actually going through with general therapy because mm-hmm. there's definitely one or two things that um i would like to speak to a therapist about and one or two yeah um things i got to deal with but um so that was definitely like one big like plus for me i think it was probably the it was probably the biggest plus, if not yeah. one of the only three pluses. That's amazing. Was that your first experience of therapy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm a guy, like, you know, what we're like with therapy, so. Yeah. <laughs> I think all black yeah, therapy, therapy. therapy for guys is uh, the group chat, so. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I found that interesting, and it was, it was awkward at times, because it's, it's weird when you have to like open up to a stranger about personal things and ambition and like 
goals and then you and then that leads into like well your past and all of that kind of like you really have to be vulnerable with a stranger and like mm-hmm. it's just like what the fuck is this but i think it's good i certainly see the benefits of actual therapy so mm-hmm. yeah, it's definitely something that i'll be on the pod I tried were these people, therapy sessions like oh sorry go ahead <laughs> I, said, I tried therapy but i felt like my therapist was just not the guy really were they white yeah, but like, see, the thing is, it's not, it's not that he was right. Like, it was a situation where the conversation, we didn't really touch anything. Like, he didn't really, like, you know, like, okay, like, see, Joe, she, it, it sounds like the guy you went in with, he kind of, it got to a point where he started dictating, okay, what do you want to speak about? And then, oh, then you the see, path. that's, that's, that's where, that's where, that's, that's where, that's where you're mistaken. Therapy is not, Okay, so there's a there's first of all there's different types of therapy. So like the therapist that you see might be might specialize in a type of therapy called cognitive behavioral therapy, or they might specialize in person centered therapy. And they're like the techniques used in those are like completely they're just two of like many, but the techniques used in those are, are very different. So like for argument's sake, um when I was talking about when I was talking about my session where I felt like I was getting bullied, that's like, that's actually a type of therapy. Um, But like most therapists sit there and listen and the aim of therapy is not for the therapist to find solutions, but it's for you to continue to talk until you realize, oh, this is what, like I do this because of this and I need to change this in order to get to, do you get where I'm coming from? Yeah, no, I wish I know so, But the only thing is that I, I'm, I'm sure there are therapists out there who are just not really good at like at doing that. So you might just had a really bad experience with a really shit therapist. No, and you know what it is for me as well? Like for me, like I, apparently one of the things that I need to get worked, I need to talk about whatever is that I- Why do you put that in, why you put that, why you put that in because, conditions? Cause you because, know what these bitches be like. There's one of the things I need you know, to talk about. No, it's what's called, cause I legit don't remember most of my childhood. And I don't remember a lot of the things that happened. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, I think if I think seriously, I have little flashes from earlier ages, but when I can actively start remembering properly, it's probably around like the age of like 12 or something, maybe even later. Yeah. So, and like, trauma, you know, not being yeah, <laughs> yes. hence, hence the quote, condition marks. But so the thing is, like, if you put me in a room and you tell me to speak just endlessly, bro, we won't talk about shit because I can't speak on something that I don't remember. Do you get what I mean? Like, yeah, good point. So mm-hmm. that's why, that's why for me, it just didn't work. Like, we ended up just talking about some random shit that had nothing to do with my life. And nothing how many sessions did you have? I think I had like, how many sessions did I have? Maybe five or six, and it's just like within the five five or six sessions, it was like, yeah, cool, this was great, but like, like it was yeah, nice yeah. to have a nice conversation, but like, we didn't really tackle shit. Like, but I, I think, but I think I think what's more important is that you went because a lot of people don't even make that first step in going because there's such a negative stigma around therapy. But I think for me, uh, like uh, I have a lot of respect for therapists because I, I see them as doctors. GPs are doctors for physical health and therapists and and counsellors are are, are doctors for for mental health so anyway not that um, mental health was on the docket but you know shout um, out to my nigga Hush Puppy free my nigga Hush Puppy 
Ivan, actually, I want to ask you a question before we like go on that topic. Do you know when you said you're doing like you're doing research on religion? Because mm-hmm. I think I have to come and God would have been real or whatever. I think I've been Joe have this conversation quite a bit. What What are somebody like? What made you even question it, or on what conclusion did you come to when it comes to like religion and God or religion versus God kind of thing? Because I was just wondering because I have this conversation with Joe quite often, but maybe a different yeah. perspective. I won't lie, yeah, it's because my pastor kept bugging me. <laughs> he was like sending <laughs> <laughs> like me, calling me, my daughter, I want to speak to you. I didn't see you in service, blah, blah, blah. And like when I moved out, he was like telling my mom that I was making a bad decision and my mom should have more control over me and stuff like oh that. Oh my God. That's your business, bro. Do me a favor. He was poking his into my life and I, I just didn't like it and I was like I need to leave this church you know, you know them ones bro did you give birth to me that you ask it don't ask big man big I man swear, questions bro. I swear and he tries to tell my parents that they're not doing a good good enough job parents to me you know no. like he doesn't say that explicitly but the way he presents his case is that's essentially what he's trying to do and you know it's them ones it's always the them pastors kids that those are the ones at the back of the church sucking dick bro move man <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So that kind of really irritated me. And um I started like going to another church. Um and like I did feel something, but it wasn't just there. You and know I, what's intra you know what's so intra it's intra it's so yeah. it's so interesting that we're having this discussion because one thing I forgot to mention about a lot of times I've I've read the Bible a hell of a lot more and mm-hmm. um I've kind of noticed that I still have questions, like, you know, like everyone else, like Jordan alluded to, because I, I, I mean, we talk about it all the time. But when you actually read the Bible to like study and not to read, like, in and of itself, the Bible is a really, really good, like, guide to life i'm not gonna lie that like, is very an, true yeah as an, objective, as an objective text like the bible is actually the bible has bars yo <laughs> like, swear it does, it really does. I, don't think, I don't think like even if you don't believe in god or whatever or believe in a resurrection etc etc like the bible be talking yo <laughs> like i remember there was one time um don't judge me in fact i don't give a shit I was having many a glass of wine or it could have been gin. I can't remember. But I was like, oh shit, I haven't read my Bible today. So I opened up the Bible app. Yeah. And I was a little bit intoxicated. Um, How do you read the Bible while being drunk? That just sounds was, bad to me. Because I was listening to Stephen Furtick and he said it was okay. So uh, <laughs> anyway, I was, uh, so I was like, oh yeah, right. Let me read it. And I was reading it. And you know, when you do, you know, when you do that, like that, click your fingers thing when you're like hmm hmm yeah, this mm-hmm. makes a lot of sense like that happened to me quite a good bit during lockdown and i was like oh even like as an objective text like there's a lot of like good advice in that. yeah i know proverbs some- is a good book to read for advice well yeah for women no there's literally just a paragraph for women at the back i think proverbs as a whole there's really good advice in it for people in general yeah true. Speaking of, yeah, yeah, there's nothing I can make this through. 
But um, the main reason why uh, we brought you on to the podcast, um, yeah. and if I'm correct, mm-hmm. if have we, how many guests have we had on the podcast? I'd say about six in two years. <laughs> really? I'm not even lying. No, no, no. When we were doing the football one at the start, when it was just about football, we were finding it easier to get guests. When we diverted from like football and started doing the Dio's house, I think Moyo was the only guest we called Raf once. Yeah. And sure. then now, maybe four or five since we started doing, because before we had Orlando, we had John, we had John, we had Kenny, we had Barry when it was just strictly football. Yeah. But when we went about more than football, this might be guest number three. When, you mean Moyo, when, Raf, when the topics became a little bit more difficult. Yeah, and Oyin, yeah, yeah Oyin. So, so, yeah, so yeah. four guests now. Fair enough. Yeah, cool. But um, the main reason uh, Ivana is even here is because, in light of everything that's gone on, one thing that's been highlighted in that specific to Ireland is the is the system of direct provision, and I felt like it would be a little bit weird if I kind of <laughs> discussed. <laughs> Direct provision because I'm look I'm looking at the entire system from like a research point of view because I've never experienced the system, and like there's one thing reading about a system and um, hearing other people's experience, but it's a different thing when other people go through the experience themselves. Like Jordan, I'm, I'm sure you may not have been aware of it at the time, but you've been through the system. No, and, no, I haven't because I, I can explain my situation. My situation. Well, I mean, you different. have. Because you came after two thousand, technically. From what I from what I read from the research I did, that wasn't my situation because the way we came to Ireland. I'll explain now if you want. Wow! Did you do the, you did, you, did you do the okay. sneaky thing? Yeah, what? You did a sneaky thing. The sneaking thing. Yeah, the sneaking that, thing. Them, them fake Yeah, you know that no, one. No, no, yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, yeah. let me. Let me, let me explain. If you're so explaining, you're losing, bro. Because I want to, like, obviously give perspective and, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. and actually yeah, yeah. and tell me if that's actually was uh, direct provision. Because uh, I, have, I have a feeling my experience. Because when we we lived in Congo, obviously, my parents are from Congo. And then there was, like, a civil war, civil unrest, and my dad was in the army. So when we fled to Congo, we fled to the Central African Republic to live there. As that was happening, the Celtic Tiger was happening in Ireland, and the country was booming. So the Irish government contacted my parents and tell them to come here as work as doctors. So when we came to when we came to Ireland, we didn't have to like do remain to stay. We did all of that. Wow. We came with all the right papers and we were put into a house straight away. I came with and the we were given, we're given we're given the, like, we're okay. given the papers to stay in the country immediately. That so is my insane. situation. I know that's why my mom if you tell my mom there's no God my, my mom will tell you that story and tell and say she did not pay a single penny to come to Ireland she's never paid we didn't buy our tickets the Irish government bought the tickets for us to come here because my dad flex on them no no so that's, what, that's what I feel like my experience isn't really direct provision when we yeah. came we were sorted already because mm-hmm. of my bad situation in Africa Obviously, then when he came here, which made no sense, then they told him, because your education is a third world education, you're not allowed to be a doctor here. So he went back to school and then 
started from scratch and became a doctor again. Fair play you're, to also, her. you're not so mad about that. So you came to find me to tell me to come and be a doctor in your country. And then I come to your country and tell me I can't be a doctor. Were yeah, there not, yeah. were there not yeah, any doctors? Were there not any doctors here now? But you know, when that country, the Celtic Tiger, was booming so much, you know, they, they probably got gassed. They're like, there's so many jobs and so many opportunities because we were presented with three options by because we used to go to the like we're on, in a foreign country, so we went to the Congolese embassy there in the Central African Republic embassy to seek some help because another country there. And they said, in your position with your education, we can send you to Canada, uh, America, or Ireland. My dad didn't want to go to America because he was afraid that we'll turn into tugs. Fair enough. I thought I think I would have turned into Damien Lillard, but that's a story for another day. <laughs> so it was a it was, it was a story. It was a choice between Canada and and at the time Ireland in the two thousand was booming. So my parents were like, "If this is a freebie, let's go to Ireland." So that's my situation. So I don't. After reading the direct provision, like I read articles on it because I knew we were talking about it. I don't think Brass. my situation is is like that. You're, you're, given as you're as privileged as me. <laughs> you know yeah, what? basic. So I, that's basic. I wanted to explain my situation. Yeah. But you know what? Ivana can tell us more on that. Yeah. yeah, so that's definitely not direct provision. And I'm so, I'm so impressed by that story. I think it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, my mom, would, my mom would like, you can't tell my dad woman there's no God. She'll be like, no way. <laughs> yeah. I could I couldn't have done that myself. That wasn't by my friend. That's definitely God's grace. Yeah. I think I might have been part of this direct provision thing, you know. Really? Wait, hang on. What do you mean you think? Like, See, because I, I remember, I keep telling you, I, I don't actually remember most of my childhood, but I remember when we came to the country, we started off in Dublin. Then we were put in a hostel, in a couple of hostels in Galway. And what were the hostels we, like? Describe it to me. Um... You know, I can't even remember too tough. Just, okay. just we were like we were in a like we were in a, it was like almost like imagine like a hotel, but in a one bedroom, like in a one bedroom apartment, one bed, and that's a bathroom. And a TV. Oh shit! Wow. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> Deji, 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 if I'm being honest, mate, if you can't remember, it wasn't that great. So it's probably direct revision. <laughs> yeah, no, nah, nah, it wasn't great because all I do, I do remember what's called the food in the canteen was shit. So my mom used to like my mom learned how to cook everything in the kettle. So like she's cooked stew in a kettle, oh. rice and all that kind of shit. Oh shit, this is mad. <laughs> that's direct provision, honey. Yeah. Oh shit. Not... And she only I found out. I only found out what direct provision is like forty-eight hours ago. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Ivana. Um, yeah. Please shed some more light. Because uh, oh. um, I'm like curious to hear, like, because I know you've got some like pretty mad experiences with it anyways so, yeah. I'm to hear that. so i i worked as a volunteer with voice of migrants so it's so like it's a bit of a it's a grassroots organization based out of um a direct provision center called montague hotel in leash so every sunday after church i just hop on a bus and go there and um i think for anyone who's listening to this i'll just give like a brief overview of what direct provision is just to start off so it's just like a system um, that's in place to like process and accommodate like newly arrived asylum seekers and refugees into the country. Now, when this was put into place, it was really just meant for a short-term stay. But nowadays we're seeing around like 40% of people who go through the direct provision system are in there for at least two years. Some people are there for 10, five years. Now, because of Deji's experience, I know it's direct provision because of the fact that you're not able to cook your own food. So there isn't a lot of autonomy in these centers. Um, typically you might find an entire family being placed in one room and that family might consist of adult children, 
parents may not have the opportunity to be intimate. Children may have no desks to do their homework on, so they're you know lying on the ground for hours <coughs> studying. Um, so it's it's very squalid conditions. Um, people, some people want to argue, oh sure they're being fed, they've got a roof over their head, blah blah blah. But you need to, you need to really um, delve into how it's uh, a study done by the Royal College of Surgeons uh, a few um, quite recently, where researchers found that the length of time that somebody spends in an asylum process and is associated with an increase in psychiatric disorders. Um, so it's a very um, harrowing weather situation to be in. There's no opportunity to cook for yourself. You are very limited. Like the the center that I worked at, they um they had two buses leaving every day. It's quite remote. So typically a lot of these centers are isolated. They're not in urban areas. So there are two buses that leave and come back to the center um, uh, twice a day. And if you miss those buses, essentially that means that you have very limited chances of leaving the center. Um, very recently, there was a woman who reported of the fact where her, her baby was sick, he was vomiting. And I don't know if you know this, but there's a remedy for vomiting. You just give the child something that's very um, starch heavy, like bread, and that soaks up the acid in the stomach. So she went downstairs to the canteen and asked management for some bread. They said no, even after she explained the situation and how she felt, you know, it's an emergency. Can I please have some bread? So they refused her and uh, there was no opportunity for her to even call or text someone to bring in some bread from outside because there are strict visiting times. So it's, it's a bit like you're living life and you have no control over your day, right? So imagine living in that in those situations for five years, 10 years, it really fucks you up for lack of a better word. Um, so I think that kind of gives you guys an overview. I don't want to get to sit here and give like a huge lecture. I know, oh, sorry. Oh, my, wait, Deji, so all the, all the things that you couldn't remember are coming back now? No, like just flashes, like, cause I, like remember just being in, being in fucking like, they're like in a massive like hostile kind of situation and they were like being a, uh, being like a playroom world the kids are just being in a playroom yeah be having having a shitty tv that the only thing you can watch is like channel four so after simpsons is over that's it that's it for the night bro mm. oh, I nah, shit. oh yeah that's yeah that's mad um i remember one time i went into like some some of these centers have shops so i went into the shop and i wanted to get a mango and everything is extremely overpriced. Like typically a mango, a single mango, when you go to the shop, is like 85 cents. They were selling it one mango for 250, you know? <laughs> these are the same people who do not have the financial ability to, you know, make those sort of purchases. So there's, a, there's also a system where they are being extorted financially through these shops. So it's a very dark sort of process. And I was, I was so pissed off uh, actually gave out to the person at the shop. She's like, I felt bad after she explained to me that it's not her doing the pricing, it's management, because bigger corporations run these places. So they kind of decide, you know, what how things go. That was uh -huh. the thing. That was the thing that I was like, when I was looking into direct vision, because I have no experience of, like, I'm speaking from a position of privilege here. Mm -hmm. I've, I've never had to like, claim an international like right to like stay in another country i was born in east london and i was handed a passport the minute i came out of, out of my mother so Wait, what i it. found not say that again that's okay 
what I thought was nuts was um, that like direct vision. Like you can bid for a contract to run a direct direct provision center. That to me sounds nuts. Like the fact that direct provision is basically ran by for profit for profit oh, yeah. organizations says everything about like Ireland's attitude towards um refugees. And yeah. when I was looking when when I did a little, a little bit more digging in, I started asking like the common sense question, which is like, why? Why is the system so bad? And like that kind of led me to find out, like, well, the system beforehand, or that like the kind of guidelines around refugees and people seeking asylum was, well, if you came to Ireland, you got full social welfare benefits. Like, basically, you were treated as if you were a citizen of the state who didn't mm -hmm. have a job. Um, and over time, you could put in your application for um, for status and whatnot, blah, blah, blah. But like you could access social welfare payments or you could access like uh, child benefit, you could access medical care. Like there was no real issues with regards to school. Um, I'm not sure. Yeah, you, you, were, you certainly weren't allowed to work. You certainly didn't have any rights to work. But a lot of the reason why um, direct division is so shit is because like out of nowhere, Ireland just got this massive spike of um, people seeking asylum because mm -hmm. in the past their like the deal that people got when they came over here was so so good and when you like, I just tweeted out a stat for uh, on the account like, in 1992 there were like less than 50 applications um, in Ireland and then in 1999 there were like seven and a half thousand applications and basically what happened was Ireland just got this massive spike of applications and didn't know how to handle it and instead of taking time out or instead of saying look we can't actually like service all of you guys in a if like in an efficient way because a lot of the issues with direct provision that Yvonne has already pointed out is waiting like, sometimes people even people who get their status end up waiting like months or years for a letter that makes it official so you've been told yeah, yeah you're good to stay here but you have to wait for a letter from the minister for justice and that letter could take like a year to come and whilst you're waiting for that letter you can't work you can't leave where you were placed so your life is basically on hold so mm -hmm. what kind of led me to kind of I don't want to say force a conversation about it, but like, I just think a little bit deeper is the fact that Ireland knew that they couldn't handle the the influx of people coming from in, international uh, borders, and were and what shocked me about it was that they were put under pressure by the EU to actually make their system as crap as possible to stop people coming to Ireland because it was so attractive and yeah. similar and countries around Europe were basically given the same mandate it's like look we can't have freedom of movement amongst people in Europe and have a load of international people coming and claiming as asylum in Europe like we 
we've got to reduce something and we can't reduce Shenzhen, we can't reduce um, movement of people because that's everything that the EU stands for. So we just need to figure out a way to make it, to make it unattractive for people to come and seek asylum there. And that's what, that's where direct provision was, was built from, which I think is inhumanely disgusting. That's like sad. when with like uh, seeking asylum and all of that was something that was that became a thing in the 50s so after the world war there was like about 60 to 80 million people who just didn't have anywhere to live because where they were based got destroyed by the war and basically every other country in the world said okay you know what we'll set up a system of asylum and if people want to come and seek refuge in our country then you know will allow that to happen so knowing that all of these countries agreed to allow people to come to their countries it's almost like they're saying well yeah you can come to our country but like you know you're a little bit of a disturbance so we're just going to treat you like shit <laughs> anything we would prefer if you stayed at home so just with everything that's going on when you kind of deep like the measures that the government have put in place and how they're actually trying to make the system as unattractive to immigrants as possible it kind of ties into like some of the things that like some of the treatment that we've experienced as black people in ireland because it's mm -hmm. like irish people see black people as people who go through the direct provision um experience and even if you come out from that that's kind of like that stigma that they have of you that you're like you don't know how to cook, you don't know how to clean, you're dirty. There was like a case in Mayo, I think, or Mayo or Claire, I can't remember, where people were basically saying that they didn't want a direct provision centre built because like they were afraid of Muslim men um, carrying out um, rapist behaviour to Irish citizens that apparently, that allegedly was going on in direct provision centres. So like, Wow. I just found it really interesting the kind of link between like life in direct provision and kind of the Irish treatment of people in direct provision and mm -hmm. then like the treatment of those who aren't even in power. And I thought that was kind of interesting. And I guess knowing how shit the system is, what I wanted to ask everyone is one, how would you even go about changing the system? And two, assume that changes won't, won't be made because let's be honest governments never you know come through for minorities anyway and um direct provision reform even though it's a system that's been in place for 20 years direct the first like proper reform of the system only came in 2015 and centers were given six years to make like basic substandard changes that's like some of the centers still haven't made to this day um, but given the fact that it's very unlikely that changes that we may propose will be made, what can we do to, like, to, yeah. I don't want to change the system, but what the fuck can we actually do? To affect the system, kind of, not even changeable, affect it. Yeah. Yeah. Because now, like, it's an EU-based, like, the, the EU have placed this law across all of Europe. So I think then changing the system, you're not, you're not going to change the system because Ireland as a country is very liberal. Like, 
we, we at, like they called Ireland the gayest country because like we voted yes for the referendum and then uh, our Taoiseach is like it's a very liberal country so if it was the law that was just based within Ireland for example where we are I don't know about the UK because you know Brexit means Brexit it could <laughs> it could have been easier to affect change but as it is a EU law I don't because some countries probably most countries in the EU like for example Brexit they would be for these kind of laws so to affect change I don't know how you go about it because I think it would just be difficult as it's, it's a law based from every, like the EU came up with it, not just Ireland on its own. So I don't know what you would kind of have to do to. Jordan, I, 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 I don't even think, I don't even think the issue is like changing the law. I, like for me, just yeah. based on what I've heard and what I've read, my biggest issue with direct provision, like on a base level, I think the conditions are shit. Anyway, so like mm. I, I don't even think that needs to be spoken on, right? But it's the way it's the not knowing. No, not no. It's it, it's the waiting. It's the actual waiting of not finding out where you stand. Like, yeah. it shouldn't take a person eighteen months to figure out if they're going to be allowed to stay in a country or not. It should be why are you coming? These are the reasons why I'm coming. Uh, okay, well, we've assessed your case and we're either giving you permission to stay or we're not giving you permission to stay. Cool. If you're giving me permission to stay, get me that letter immediately because it's not like the Minister of Justice has to handwrite the letter. Pin it off, give it to me, let me go about my life. If you're not allowing me to stay, put me on a flight back home. I'll go and figure out my life. It, it's not that yeah. difficult. Yeah. I, I take like issue with that as well. Like, having yeah, like, people like I feel like also because because of the length of time that's taken. It's not like, oh, we're at full capacity, we're not taking anybody else. They're just going to keep pouring more people in. So if you get more people out, you'd have more time, like more space, more resources, more everything to actually, not that the conditions are going to get any better, but with less people, it could make it a little bit better, like not overcrowded, not having bare people just there. Do you get what I'm saying? So what yeah. you're saying is if even if, if everything else doesn't change maybe just the speed of getting shit done like why like why am i waiting 18 months for a yes or a no mm. why am i staying in this place for six years like what what sense does that make yeah. you what's even worse is that sometimes you get the yes and you're still waiting 18 months to get a letter that says oh we told you yes so you may proceed i'm, I'm, actually, it's I'm actually really annoyed that i didn't know that i was part of direct provision because i would have had a conversation with my mom and she would have broken every shit all this shit and how it went down to me but um maybe another mm-hmm. yeah I, I think as well for me i'm really concerned about i think a lot of people who are like a lot of people have the uh, opinion that you know asylum seekers refugees are a burden for our economy and blah 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 they're just leeching off stuff that's given to them for free but I think the government should seek to um, train or educate uh, people who are living in these centers so that when they are out of the centers, they can make something of themselves. You know, um, I think it's really disgusting how you put someone in a very enclosed and substandard living conditions and you're not seeking to, you know, improve their skills or improve their education so that when they do leave, they can make money get a job and they're they're then not so heavily reliant on the government to supply their needs so i would really love to see like an education program and maybe even just free education for refugees who want to go to school because that really 
eliminates that burden once they are out of the process of the system. What's, what's, in, what's interesting is that um, UCD have a scheme. I think it's UCD. Yeah, it might be both, but basically if, if you are currently on the direct provision and you want to go to university, they waive the international fees, which I think is great. Yeah. Um, but I, I think, so I sat down and thought like, I haven't been exposed to direct provision, so it's not something that until I read how crap it was, was close to heart. But what baffles me is that there are so many people in Ireland, in our community, that have been exposed to it and have been through it and know how bad it is and have done very little to put pressure on government to change things. You know what it is, and Joe? Once mm -hmm. you get yes, you probably stop worrying about the, like, you know, I, I get what you're saying. That like, if you've been through it, go back and help those that are going through it. But sometimes human nature, once you're no longer in that situation, you stop caring about this situation because it no longer affects you. Okay. Kind of you know what, I'm going I to interject here and disagree with you, Joe, because it does happen. It's just their voices are not amplified. So um, there's actually a huge organization called MASI, which is, uh, stands for Movement of Asylum Seekers in Ireland. And they do a lot of advocacy. They're in the parliament, they're voicing their thoughts. Just last year, I worked on a legal submission to the um, Committee on Justice and Equality um, regarding direct provision with a group called Abolish Direct Provision. So there are organizations that they're making the noise and advocating for the eradication of direct provision. However, I feel as though their voices could need a bit, of, bit more amplification. That's why people are not, you know, moved by it or people like yourself may have opinion that not much is being said about it but that is happening um it's just not in the spotlight unfortunately. But, but i think also it does come to a point of view of if you come if you come to this country as an asylum seeker you feel like you don't really have a say or anything within what happens so you just see a system is like look it is what it is kind of a situation so like that's why there's so many like things will happen to black people and it's like you could report that or or let's say you get injured at work and it's like you can sue the company and like get paid but it's just like ah oh, well, look man it happened it happened like get over it and move on like i feel like we have this soldier mentality of like oh look man we got through it like yeah it was bad but we got through it. and i feel like the whole um trying to make it as what's the word that joe used unattractive as possible some some people are in situations where people are dying around them and all this kind of shit, bro. Living in somewhere that's not exactly the best or is kind of inhumane conditions is kind of still a step up. So it's like that, like you're they're speaking as it as if people are coming from place of privilege and it's like direct provisions is almost like a step down for them. For some people, that's a step up. So it's never gonna people are never gonna stop coming. Hmm. I see I what you mean from this system. Cool. What'd you say? I had a friend that got deported from this. You know how you wait before you get a yes or no? Mm -hmm. So he came into boat like him first or second year, and he didn't get deported till fourth year, maybe. So it was four years waiting a living situation. And it was really smart because he, he was on course to get like 500 points in his leaving cert. He would have went to, he was trying to do medicine, really like 
really smart, smart guy. And then when they got the announcement, they got no, they had to leave. And I felt frustrated at the time because it's like, because obviously the friend is a good guy and he had so much potential to do things with his life. And then after four years, you could have told him that as soon as you could. But after four years, then to be like, nah, you can't stay. I just, I don't, I, it was heartbreaking at that time. I think just to come back to um, the point on like organizations that are trying to do some work on like uh, lobbying the government and whatnot to, I guess, abolish direct provision and whatnot. I think from my like personal point of view, agenda may be sneaking in because I went, like, I grew up in an island where anytime I went to church for argument's sake, like there was a lot of time allocated towards praying towards people receiving papers and i did yeah. not know what that meant at the time yeah now that i know what it means i think i'm just a little bit frustrated annoyed that like there were people in well certainly the church i went to nah, me too. In, me too. in no as in like there were people in that church who were in the doors or in the rooms that could affect change Mm-hmm. And the fact that that wasn't on their agenda baffles me. So when I, when I say that, like, we need to do more and, like, organizations need to do more. Yeah, I get that there are organizations, like Ivana said, that, that do lobby. But, like, i got to be honest with you. If I were on the board of a church that was predominantly African, I'm not going to lie to you, as one of the main things if I, especially as somebody that's like, if I were somebody who went through the system, that would be one of the like, that would be one of my top priorities. Like, And what kind of baffles me is that, or what kind of frustrates me is that it isn't. And that's kind of why I'm like, we need to do more because if we can't look after at like ourselves, how do we expect other people and activists to look after ourselves like on our behalf? I, I hear you. Where I'm from. Yeah, I hear you. I hear, but what I will say is, like they're in those they're in those rooms, but their agendas have been met to them because their agendas was to get the paper. So after they've gotten their paper, they just feel like, well, I went through the system. You get through, you go through it too. I, I know, I know what you're saying that like it shouldn't be the mentality, but unfortunately, it is. Like for example, on a smaller scale, since I went when I, I went through university and it was like, fuck, this is this shit's tough, whatever. But the minute I'm done university, I'm not really looking back and thinking like. But Jordan, what? there's a big, there's a big fucking difference between a degree and human rights. And the reason, and the reason why I say that, the reason why I say that, Jordan, is because that, like, when you're out of a situation, some people don't care about the situation because they got out of it. That's the, that's what the analogy is trying to prove. It's not right. like I'm not comparing. I'm just saying, in terms of analogy, like they've moved on, they've met their agenda, they don't feel the need then to look back and help other people with the same agenda. Cool. Okay, so let, let me shed let me shed some let, let me shed some more colour on like where I'm coming from, right? So um without naming names. So there was a period, I think it was like 2015 or like a couple of elections back, yeah, maybe two or three elections back in Ireland where like a year or two before the election, out of nowhere, a stack of like um people were just getting Irish passports. Like an unbelievable amount of people. Every week in church. Literally, literally everyone out of nowhere. It was like, it was almost like everyone was on the Late Late Show and they were handing out passports, right? You get one, yeah. 
Yeah, but at the same time, a stack of people were getting letters from the department or were getting status, right? That wasn't like out of improvements to the system or like out of um, like that wasn't for free. That was done so <laughs> niggers would vote for the party that gave people those passports and the, and and you know the way that if you um, if you get status or even I think yeah if you get status you can vote in local elections. Oh my god! That was and I'm not saying this as speculation. I know this for fact. This was the strategy of said party at the time to secure votes. So. When Were I they say, successful in doing that? One hundred percent, because they're still in power today. <laughs> so um, when I, I, I so, changed for the first time, I think it was an Austrian chain that it was like it was usually, it was always Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael, but I think for the first time the party got had a change in, in the last well, election. Well, I'm not naming I'm not naming names, but there's been one party that have been consistently in power for the last like eight to ten years, and if you and if you're bright enough to figure out who that is, they're the ones that gave everybody the passport. So. Do the maths yourself. But I'm not saying this is speculation. I was told this from somebody deep in that party. So this isn't high level of analysis. This is an actual fact. So <laughs> what baffles me is that there are people is that there are people in our community, and this is what this is like for this what I was saying to you, Commander, that there were people in our community in those rooms, in those doors. And I don't mean to be funny, but it comes back to what I was saying last week that, or it, it's kind of similar to what I was saying last week and also similar to what um, Charlemagne the God has been saying in America. It's like, look, if you want the black vote, do something for black people, right? And I know that like those of us who have passports or those of us who have status in Ireland, like mm-hmm. we, yeah, we do have our own like day-to-day issues and things that need to be solved. But in the main, they tend to be the issues of like Irish and white people anyway, right? They mm-hmm. tend to be, there's not enough jobs, um, prices of things are going up, yet salaries aren't going up with them, et cetera, et cetera. We, we, we have first world problems basically. But the fact that like the world's worst um, system for dealing with asylum seekers exists in this country. And so many of us have to go through it. And some of us are privileged privileged enough to be in the rooms where we can actually lobby and affect change um, and we don't do that to me is disgusting so when you know like when people know that like we're being used as bait for uh, for for politics and for elections and like and things like that I I'm not comfortable with our votes like not coming mm-hmm. at an expense and I think one of the and I think one of the expenses should be like from now on. I think we have to be really, really strong on like being like, okay, if if you want our vote, what are you actually going to do about direct provision? Because there are going to be a stack of people in the future who are going to have to go through the system, and it's not going to change. Mm-hmm. And it's not like anything you said is wrong. Like everything, I, I actually I completely agree with everything you said. But that's probably the generation that came here, like our parents or whatever. Their agenda was to just come and create and stabilize for our, for the kids. Now, the next step, what you're talking about, Dan, is probably our responsibility. We've had the privilege. We didn't have to go through it. Whereas they, they're in that room, their agenda is met. I have secured my living here 
for my kids to live their life. Game, set, match for them. So the step that you're talking about, that's on, that is on us as a generation now because I've been here since eight and I didn't have to go through that system. It is my responsibility then to like, now that I'm educated and I know about the system, to say like, you know what? This is something I want to change. I want to affect it. And if you want me to vote for you, fix this. So those people that were coming to church and giving testimonies, it's because their agendas were met, essentially. They're, they're, what they wanted was given to them. So yeah, they didn't have the agenda yeah. to be like, oh, we want the system improved. The system has already helped them. This is actually so mad. Yeah. Like, because... Wait, wait, you... Deji, Deji, you thought House of Cards was only an American thing? No, 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 not that. What's called? This, this is so this mad. This shit be happening here, bro. Things, no, but what I'm saying is this shit is so mad because this is something that I never heard about but it's affected my life in so many different ways because like now i'm remembering that there's a point in my life that my aunt was living in direct provision with her kids and she was pregnant and she was gonna get deported but then just in the nick of time she had her kid and then that's when they were like oh if you have a if you have a kid remember born here, if you have a kid born here <laughs> yeah. then you get so then you can stay babies. then yeah. you can stay so for her indirect provisions being told that you have Passport to go home <laughs> being being told, so for her, what's called being in direct provision, being getting that letter that oh you're being deported, you have to go home and then have the baby, and then that law being passed and she like, she's only here through the skin of her teeth, kind of a situation, mm-hmm. and it's like, I don't know how how I've gone through how many years of my life and I didn't know that this was a thing, even though it was yeah, something that I've gone through. To, if I had a two part question, like mm-hmm. same to you, how do you feel that like me and Joe just had like a conversation about it? How do you feel one change can be affected? like change can happen but then two why like obviously this has been happening for years but now we're seeing it all over our timeline and social media what's kind of what's kind of changed what's been said what's happened because uh, i i knew we we're talking about it but i don't know why it was a topic all the sudden yeah. because i'm like hasn't hasn't mosni been around like mosni's like a, a provision center mosni yeah. is the og bro yeah so i'm just like <laughs> hasn't mosni been around forever why are we talking about this like all this yeah. more and more now. I, I find that it's 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 largely due in part to the Black Lives Matters Matter um, movement okay. because uh, I feel like there's just this like wave of consciousness awakening kind of happening all around the world, and people are saying sitting down and thinking, okay, well, what's wrong in our country? America has this false. What could we do be doing better? And one of those um, problems for Irish people would be direct provision. So I think that's why there's really be this. There's, there's a, a conversation around it has ignited. Um, I find that so far, it's been a lot of talk and no action. So mm-hmm. yeah, people are outraged, people are tweeting, people are you know saying what they think about it. But I really want this to be taken into parliament and for people to start like writing legislation, start reforming things and people to like dig into what these uh, for-profit corporations are actually dealing with like what are they like, what are they actually doing and is this fair like i want <clears throat> i would love to see a lot of change in that area um one thing that kind of came to mind when joseph was talking about people being in the room but not making any changes like at present we have two female black counselors i forgot what counties they're working for i think one but, is Cavan or navin yeah i don't yeah navin. Oh, that's, navin. that's local yeah i think her auntie auntie yemi that's her name that's um, you know what's so funny? She literally lives like five doors away from me. 
I am screaming. You are Deji, we, we need to talk, man. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, yeah, if I don't you're making a point. I go to uni with her daughter, she's in my lecture sometimes. And, <laughs> but uh like you you know, these people, these women, like God bless them, they're in these rooms and it'd be great for on their part to you know speak up about this a little bit more, you know, present um ideas, put ideas down on the table. Um, I'd love to see a bit more action. I think I think we need to not be afraid of not being black politicians. And like this is a this is a it's a big criticism that Obama came under when um he got into office. People were like, Well he didn't really do anything for black people. And I get that. He has to be America's president, but like mm. still a nigger, like still one of us. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like at least do something what's up bro <laughs> do you know what i mean yeah and I my, and and not that i gotta admit um I, of recent because i've moved um to the uk and we have our own fucking mess going on here that directly affects my life on a day-to-day basis that i've been more in touch with um british politics and irish politics but like those of us who are in Irish politics or like not even in Irish politics but those of us who are in organizations who have seats at the table like there are one or two churches y'all know who like you, you know mm. who we are who are <laughs> in those they're in those rooms <laughs> and I am sick and tired of certain religious organizations being in those rooms and doing sweet FA with that privilege. Yeah. Don't go in there and, and, and talk about gen- generic problems. There were this enough happens people... in Ireland? Man, you don't... Little do you know. <laughs> like, oh, wow. Like, don't go in there and speak about generic problems. There are enough people to speak about generic problems. Mm-hmm. Speak about problems like di- that directly affect your people. I don't mean to be funny, but if I was paying time to a church who had political who had some political influence or who had their ears of um like some people with political influence i i mean i'm a con anyway i would demand that they look at that they look after my interests that they look mm-hmm. after the interests of my people and i don't see why why we don't but i'm also kind of optimistic that more people will follow what jordan was saying in the sense of um like it being our generation's responsibility. Mm-hmm. I think I would like to think that our generation, not that the generation before were selfish, they had their agenda, they had their goals and they and they reached them. And we're very grateful for that because if not for, for them and their struggle, we wouldn't have the privilege of going to uni and earning this ridiculous amount of money at, like at the jobs that we do. Um, but like, I do think some if not all of us have to bear the responsibility of making it easier or at least more comfortable for people who are going to come after us yeah and i don't know how we go about doing that and it'll be interesting to see like what kind of conversations take place on the tl like is it a question of us like putting money together or is it a question of us just kind of playing the long game and saying okay well long term we'll put money together and then try and tackle it ourselves or do we continue to 
like lobby those who are opponent. I don't know, but like we're all in television. We've all, we've, we've all no, like Hello? we've all received. I'm yeah. here. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've all received world class levels of education. We all have world class problem solving abilities. Like there are enough of us with enough money and enough brains to get something done long term. That is true. Yeah, I, I guess that's it. You just have to find the people with the with the common goal that want to do this. Because, mm-hmm. like I saying, everybody has their agendas, and some people they feel like if their agendas are being met, then they're not willing to look at the agenda of others, like good or bad. That's some people's prerogative. But I guess yeah, we have enough brains now. We have people. Everybody's like a professional. People work. It can happen. So just the will, the will and the want to help others kind of has to be there from ourselves. Yeah, true. Right. I feel like I've exposed a little bit too much, but I will. <laughs> right. No, you were spilling the tea. Like, I loved it. Thank you for that. It is what it is, but um, I guess I guess we're done because I don't yeah. think there's anything else in the world that we've touched on. Uh, yeah. I believe next week Jordan, I, and Deji, if he's still around, are going to do a sports podcast. Jordan and Deji. Yeah. Maybe I guess on that motherfucker. Yeah, we're, we're trying to, we'll see. It's a, it's a box. We talk about boxing. Anyway, yeah, we're talking boxing now. anyway. We're, yeah, we're trying to talk boxing. So, yeah. You guys watch boxing? Well, when, there, when there are Nigerians Casually. involved, yes. <laughs> oh, Casually. yes, yes, I forgot about that. AJ. Yeah, so, right, yeah. Right, Ivana. Okay. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for you having any me. socials, anything you want to wanna shout out? Okay, I did give Joseph my professional one, but I was swearing on this, so you should use my private account. <laughs> okay, I'm done. My private account. <laughs> yeah, I am for your, uh, hearing me swear online. <clears throat> right. right. Well, don't, have a lovely out- day. The outro, Jordan, 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 we need an outro. I, I don't know, like, I'm on the spot now, you know. Okay, just, just think of the first thing that comes to your mind. Nah, because this first thing is dead, isn't it? So we'll come back just, next week. Just, and have an outro. just give us something, bro. What's this? What are you being pussy for? Tree at the back. Tree at the back, we back. Still, guys. <laughs> wait, wait. Is that oh, it? Yeah, that was it. That was, that was the most disappointing outro I've heard. Like, you haven't put it in store or anything. Think about it this way. Think about this way, lads. It can only get better from here, then. No, 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 no. no. I, I trust you for it to get worse. <laughs> <laughs> right, we have. Right. Later. Right. Right. <laughs>